everyone, this is Alexandra Perry, and you are listening to Investing After Hours, a Wealth Daily podcast. Joining me today is Charles Mizrahi. Charles, how are you? Great, thank you. Thank you so much, Ali, for having me. So, Charles, before we get the podcast started, there might be listeners that are listening for the first time. You've been on a podcast with us before and kind of talked about your investing history, but could you give us like a quick elevator pitch of your investing background and what you focus on? Sure. I started uh, now 35 years uh, on Wall Street. I started as a floor trader in 1983. I was one of those people who traded uh, stock index futures on the floor of the New York Futures Exchange. I then went and built a money management firm and a hedge fund. And my approach has always been to uh, to buy, to get more than you pay. So basically, uh, you know, price is what you pay and value is what you get. So we're trying to buy dollar bills at 50 cents, as, as every investor should be doing. Uh, once we uh, understand the business, then we can value it. And once we value it, we buy it only when we're getting a discount at it. And that's basically it. Makes sense to me. It's actually kind of interesting, too, because right now you're coming onto the podcast to talk about this technology megatrend that you have become interested in. And I was wondering if you could tell us about that. Yeah, sure. The um, what I, Warren Buffett said, the best holding time for a stock is forever. Uh, What he means by that is that you want to find great companies and hold them for as long as possible, for generations, ideally. For example, uh, if you just bought one share of Coca-Cola back in 1919, one share, say your great-grandfather was smart enough to buy it, or grandfather, uh, that one share is now worth over $11 million. That's the power of a great business and a great company. So what uh, Buffett is really saying there is you want to hold a stock uh, that will, or a piece of a company rather, which is what a stock is, for as long as you can and find those great businesses that'll just thrive over all sorts of economic environments. So that's what I try to do as well. And uh, there's one huge mega trend that I've been researching over the past year, which is just blowing my mind. It reminds me so much of where the internet was in 1995 and uh, technology companies in that space, and where 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 tremendous amounts tremendous amounts of capital went into it, and very little came out, and it took 15 or 20 years later for really the money to start coming in. Think about Microsoft, right? That was a tech company just 20 something years ago. Today it's almost a blue chip, reoccurring revenue, tremendous amounts of money. Same thing with Google. So. Uh, I try to find megatrends, and one megatrend that I was researching over the past year has been artificial intelligence, AI, which is just absolutely amazing, and it's now coming into its heyday. It's still the early, early innings, but this is a, a megatrend that has so much room to run, and we're not talking about months, something like you know, marijuana stocks or Bitcoin or something, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Uh, but uh, this is a something, AI is something that over the next seven to 10 years, we're still going to be talking about it and companies are going to be making billions and billions of dollars uh, through it and, 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 and by way of it. Charles, can you give us maybe your first exposure to artificial intelligence or a story that really resonates with you related to it? Because I think a lot of people have a hard time grasping what exactly artificial intelligence means in a real world setting. Right. Well, AI is, is something that most people think when they think about AI, from what I found, and my, my thoughts as well, you think about the, um, 
you think about the movies where computers take over the world or you think about Terminator and you think of crazy things like that. But AI is not any of those things, really. Uh, just just to give you just to put it in, in perspective and put in context, AI is all around us now. It touches all aspects of our lives. For example, for example, uh, credit card companies are now using it to uh, recognize suspicious threats in real time. Uh, when, I, when, I'm, when you're traveling, for example, and you charge your credit card in a foreign country, uh, AI is is using uh, all sorts of algorithms to see is this part of your pattern of spending? Do people of your demographic usually do this or not, or so on and so forth, and builds up a profile on that. So AI is being used now. Uh, it's being used in cybersecurity, uh, predicting where next attacks are going based on all the data that's coming in. Uh, insurance companies are using it to ferret out false claims and see if legitimate ones uh, should be paid out and how much should they be paid out. So. What's happening here is there's huge, huge, huge amounts of data that go into a big computer and all of a sudden it starts seeing relationships and starts learning from those relationships. So that's basically what artificial intelligence is or deep learning or machine learning. It's taking a whole bunch of data and computers learning, if you will, and predicting and seeing patterns that make a lot of sense. So that basically is what, what AI is all about. Now, what kind of impact is this gonna have on the economy? Huge. So uh, PwC did a report recently, and this is the most, most conservative report I found. There were reports that just saw much, had much bigger numbers. They, they predicted that AI will contribute more than 15 or close to $16 trillion over the next 12 years. So think about $16 trillion, that's greater than the GDP of China. That's how humongous it is. And they broke it down between uh, more or less half and half between uh, its impact on uh, labor and productivity and consumers. For example, manufacturers are gonna use AI in order to create better, more efficient supply chains. Uh, instead of running out of items, they'll tell the company when to stock up beforehand. Uh, customers will no longer see goods being sold out because AI will figure out that when the hours are seeing tremendous amounts of data that when the weather is 74 degrees uh, in Arizona uh, during this month that stores in the area sell more cotton t-shirts than they do long sleeve polos simple things like that a uh, transportation for example is another thing where it can become much faster and more efficient uh, driverless cars uh, driverless trucks getting to destinations much quicker, fewer accidents on the road, higher fuel efficiencies. These are all things that are being run with huge amounts of data and computers are basically learning and seeing patterns and coming up with conclusions that are just so uh, impossible for the human mind to even come up with. So that's really what AI is and how it'll impact the economy and how it's already impacting all of us. So uh, that's, that's basically what AI is in a nutshell. So there's not going to be much you're going to be able to touch that won't have some component of AI being used in it.
So I would love to talk about, well, in a second, I would love to hear, you have this really great story where you talk about how AI plays games. And I think that can give people kind of a gauge for how an AI program or um, an AI-based robot can exist. But I kind of wanted to ask you this question because I feel like it, it should be addressed and there's a lot of anxiety kind of circling around robotics and AI because a lot of people feel like if AI programs are introduced that increase efficiency, then they will lose their jobs. AI seems to actually be boosting gross domestic profit and kind of freeing people to pursue more creative and less labor-intensive jobs. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. It's First of all, it's really unfounded because our economy goes through so many different cycles. At the turn of the 20th century, most people were farmers, right? And uh, 60% or so of the population were farmers. They all lost their jobs. Only 2% of, of farmland today produces the bounty that we have. So what happens? Uh, people go on to the next, the next productivity chain of automobiles. Uh, think back to 1980s when we had the Rust Belt and auto, auto factories were closing down. People became programmers and constantly shifted into a different segment of society. I remember back, and this is dating myself, but I remember when spreadsheets came out, uh, people were saying bookkeepers are going to lose their jobs, and uh, it's not the case. The, the economy will constantly come up with new ways to employ smart people and find new jobs. This will create a different ecosystem and create enormous productivity. So uh, when you, when just from, from labor productivity changes, you're talking about $9 trillion. That's half of China's GDP. A little more, a little more than half. It's close to 70% of Chinese GDP. So that's going to create enormous amounts of wealth, enormous amounts of uh, employment. So uh, to be fearful of it, to be concerned, is really uh, totally unfounded. It's those same people are still uh, fearful or concerned about uh, farmers uh, or uh, manufacturers and, and the Rust Belt. Uh, you see how the economy now is at the peak and, and continues to grow. So. Uh, you know, I just think about for a second the first time um, uh, ballpoint pens came out, right? So what about all the people who are manufacturing fountain pens and ink? The economy just evolves into something else, and there's new jobs. So not really concerned about – in fact, not only not concerned about it, but it's going to fuel – it's going to fuel the economy. AI is, is already fueling by em employing more people and uh, uh, becoming more efficient. So we'll, we'll find more ways to make it be more efficient. Uh, save more money, lower prices, and employ more people. So you can't find a better combination than that. I, I really think those are extremely valid points, um, especially when you talk about technology evolving, because right before we jumped on this um, phone call and started recording this podcast, we were talking about how long AI has actually been around, and you brought it to my attention that AI has actually been around much longer than a lot of people think, just because it's really only started being run through the headlines recently, mainly because of um, these these projects like um, IBM with Watson, and you were going to tell us about a AI that actually plays a game called Go. And I was wondering if you could right. tell us more about those instances of AI and how they've brought AI to the public attention. Right. Well, first, if you want to really know about AI, really it got its first start in 1950. So we're talking close to, what, 70 77, 78 years, or, I'm sorry, 68 years ago. So that's when AI really comes out. Alan Turing, the brilliant young man uh, who's credited with developing the first computer, he lays the foundation for AI. 
he develops um, a test uh, for AI that changed the way we look at computers, and nothing has ever been the same since then. And the rate of progress on how computers learn, if you will, has just been staggering. So the question is, why is it so? Why, do, why does AI play games, right? Uh, like, for example, it plays chess, Jeopardy, uh, and, and then Go, and I'll, I'll share that with you in a second. Uh, games, board games, complex board games are the testing grounds for researchers. They use complex and challenging board games in order to see if the computer could learn certain patterns and certain uh, um, and, and learn from prior moves. So the, what's happening now is the pace of learning of computers has, has really been compressed. I'll tell you what I'm saying. I'll give you an example of that. In 1997, IBM's Deep Blue beats the best chess player in the world, Gary Kasparov. So it takes it another decade, a little more than a decade, for IBM's Watson to compete on Jeopardy and beats the players. The last, and, and the, the, the computer scientists continually learn how to write algorithms, which is nothing more than a fancy term for code and giving the computer instructions on what to do. The last great challenge is a 2,500-year-old game called Go, a Chinese game. Unlike chess, the opening moves, the possible moves in Go is one followed by 170 zeros. That is a humongous, humongous amount. And they were never able to beat a professional or a, cha a world champion Go player. That's until 2016. Uh, a company called DeepMind, which was later bought by Google, uh, created a program called AlphaGo. And in April 2016, AlphaGo played Lee Sedol, who was one of the top players, or probably the top player in the world in Korea, and beat him four games to one. And that was a game changer because now the computer, AI, if you will, was able to learn. What the programmers did is they fed in a million different Go games from, from basically amateur players and then let the computer learn and come up with its own strategies. So when it played Go against Lee Sedol in Korea in April 2016, there was one point in one of the games where the commentators were laughing at, at what a stupid move the computer made, or so they thought. Uh, it was a brilliant move by AlphaGo, turned the tables and turned the way of thinking, and Lee Sedol was much, much humbler. And uh, that really is a watershed event. That really just changed my, my whole outlook on AI, and I started to really dig in deeper in that. What is even more mind-boggling is that October 2017, AlphaGo, they created, DeepMind created a new, pro, a new computer program called AlphaGo Zero. And that suppressed, surpassed the strength of AlphaGo, the original one, in three days. So even more powerful. So that's the rate of learning that's happening now with computers and the way computer scientists are kicking this up so quickly. How is that going to affect the consumer? I'll give you a very simple example. By the year 2020, right, just, just two years from now, it's projected that close to 200 million people worldwide will be living with an eye disease called macular degeneration, where their retina starts to deteriorate and they can't see and they lose their vision. 200 million people. 
Now, that means 200 million people who will never be able to drive ever again and lose their freedom and have to stay in their home and become shut-ins in many cases. AI is making self-driving cars, which are able to see, if you will, a 3D map of everything around them. What's happening is video cameras are recording 30 frames a second of looking at colors and shapes and feeding it into a computer. And the learning process is where the computer started to say, that's a tree, not a person. That's a truck, not a wall. And the computer or AI is starting to learn this and the car is, will be able to see, if you will, and drive much better and more accurately than a human driver. And that's going to take people who are, uh, who have disabilities, uh, people who uh, have been shut in, people who can't drive for whatever reason or get out. This will give them freedom. And, and the major benefit of this is going to be safer. So just think of that amazing uh, development that's going to happen in just a few years. And lastly, at the CES show, uh, the Consumer Electronics Show, just a few uh, January time, that show used to be on consumer products. Now most of the show was dealing with artificial intelligence. And who gave the keynote speech? Ford Motor Company. <laughs> Talking about how cars are going to be driverless and how a new world is dawning. So that, that's what we're talking about here with AI. We're not talking about computers ruling the world. We're talking about making life more efficient, safer, and more enjoyable through the use of AI. So, Charles, what do you think will be the companies that benefit from this kind of global shift? Because I know there are some companies, like IBM being known as one of the most reputable, that have already kind of come out into the news world as these um, artificial intelligence committed companies. Well, there are a few companies that I think are just going to do absolutely well to ride this wave. And if you, you don't have to really think hard about it. Any company that has a humongous amount of data that they could mine and go through and have their computers go through will come out on top. So, for example, Facebook, which has, I think it's 2 billion users or so, or billion users. I don't even know that number. It's so humongous. I think, you know, 20% of the world's population is on Facebook. They have enormous amounts of data, which they uh, are going to learn from in order to uh, um, sell advertising, learn more about the people who interact with Facebook. And in fact, they're currently using AI to scan for posts of people who are jotting down suicidal thoughts and sending mental health resources to that user. So just think of the impact on that. Uh, so Facebook is definitely going to be a company that has the wind at their back in terms of AI. Uh, Oracle, symbol ORCL, is another one. They have, uh, they're using now deep learning across all their cloud applications. And, of course, Google. Uh, Google just recently announced uh, a huge uh, uh, AI center that they're opening in China. And Google has enormous amounts of data. And they're going to mine that data and come out with, uh, a whole bunch of things that the computer will, computers will be able to learn and become uh, make life more efficient for and safer for all of us. Those are fairly big companies, though, and I think for at least investors, they're kind of looking to get in on these technology megatrends from a smaller point, companies that have more room for upward growth as the industry evolves. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, prior to... Um, prior to uh, coming out with um, a recommendation on one particular company, I spent close to six months just researching it. Uh, 
And this company is very similar in my, and just to use the analogy of those who sold uh, the pitch, the pitchforks, the pitchforks, the axes and shovels to miners uh, instead of mining for gold themselves. They supplied all the infant, all the equipment and AI can't work without computer chips that are able to process enormous amounts of data. So I spent close to six months researching this one company, which is still has, has billions in revenue, is off the radar screen, uh, is, um, is just growing uh, really, for my taste, extremely, extremely well with zero to zero debt. And they are making chips that the computer chips that are pivotal, that, that AI can't work without. And that's where I think the real amazing profit potential is going to be. And just think back, for example, 30, 40 years ago, uh, if you got into Intel before uh, the PC craze happened in the 80s, uh, that's really what I'm seeing here. I look for a company that their whole business is geared towards the growth of AI and where AI could not happen if it wasn't for them. So I don't know who's going to be the winner in terms of Facebook, Oracle, Google, IBM. I, I don't know that because they have so many different businesses, but they're all going to benefit. It's, it's some much better than the others. But I wanted a company that will be able to benefit from Google, Facebook, Oracle, IBM, and everyone else who's doing AI. And in fact, uh, just think of the amount of electronics that automobiles are going to need when they become driverless. These computer chips are going to be the ones that are going to process all this information from the lasers and the cameras and the sensors around the car. That's going to all go someplace. And it's this company that produces and manufactures these chips, which I, I see a very, very long runway in front of it. The company we're just talking about and all that extensive research you've actually compiled into a presentation for investors. And for investors that are interested in watching that presentation, I'm going to include a link to it below this podcast. But I had one closing question for you, and it was kind of something that you've already mentioned CES. And, you know, we're seeing so many industries right now that have kind of been on the sidelines of almost the science fiction realm, virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, like coming into their own coming of age. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on why now is the time that investors should be looking at these industries, because like you said, you know, AI has been around for a while. So has virtual reality and augmented reality. And we're just now reaching this point where it's becoming something people should consider. So why now? Is that really what your question is? Yeah, like why right now? The runway is a long one in terms of where, where AI is going. So we're in the first innings of it. Investors could wait, but that's their choice. Uh, I first want to make sure that a mega trend is in place, and it already is. That's, that's, that's pretty obvious. The, uh, the golden ring of 15 to $20 trillion over the next 12 years in economic activity and productivity is, let's say, they're off by half. You're still talking about huge, huge amounts, amounts of money. Uh, number three, companies are already using it and have been using AI. It's just increasing. The ramp is almost like a hockey stick shape in terms, you know, it goes flat for many years and then just shoots up, which it is now. This is very similar to where the Internet was uh, back in the uh, late 90s. Uh, 
um, uh, it was AOL and then no one even heard of Google and then just took or Amazon and then it just took off. That's what we're seeing here. The question really is, where do you want to get in? Do you want to get in in the late innings of a game where the returns are flattened out and basically grow a little more than GDP? Or do you want to get in the beginning with uh, solid companies that are already using and producing and making uh, enormous amounts of revenue, cash flow, and earnings? So to me, it, to me, three, four years ago would have been too early. Three, four years from now, you still might have time. But if you're looking at the sweet spot, in my, in my belief, it's, it's in the next several months where it's just going to skyrocket as driverless cars, cybersecurity, and all sorts of aspects of our lives are going to be impacted more because businesses are going to drive us. Think about if you went to a trucking company and someone came in and told you that by buying this program or using these algorithms, you could save 20% on your fuel costs, which can amount to tens of thousands or even millions of dollars. How would you not do that? How are airlines not doing that? Which, as the first time I really found out about AI was 1993, uh, when a friend of mine at a conference, as I mentioned, his wife was a flight attendant who they used they were already using AI to price seats on airplanes based on low peak or high peak. That, do you think that's not going to be done? In fact, it's being done more and more without us even knowing about it. And it's requiring more processing speed and more computers and more software innovation. So why now? The answer is very simple. If you want to make serious money, you get in at the start of a trend, not in the middle or the end. That makes sense. Charles, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and taking your time to kind of talk about this for people that may not have any exposure to it and are interested in getting in on this technology megatrend. Great. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. For listeners, we are going to make sure to include links to not only the presentation that Charles has that's focused specifically on this small artificial intelligence company, but we're also going to include links to other articles so that you can really feel educated going into this space.